You know, most of us, to some degree, like the idea of maybe one day discovering a treasure. You ever thought about that? Maybe one day you'll find your treasure? Well, for me, it's when I put, in, put on an old pair of blue jeans and I reach in my pocket and come out with a $5 bill. That makes me happy. Anybody else that makes happy too? Better yet, Kay's left 100 somewhere around, and I find that. Uh, that doesn't happen, actually. <laughs> yeah, we have this way about us that we long for discovery of treasure. In fact, much of our entertainment wraps around that. Some of the all-time great movies most popular movies, I should say, are wrapped around that theme. If I put some images of those movies on the screen, could you tell me the title, like this one? Duh. <laughs> yeah, Indiana Jones, that's The Last Crusade. Uh, what about this one? Yeah, you're not supposed to watch movies like that, by the way. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Now, we call it Caribbean unless we're going on a vacation, and we call it Caribbean. I don't know why, but that's what happens around my house. What about this one? A little hesitancy there, but national treasure. All right, one more. Mm, what is it? Treasure Island. Who's, who said that? You're like an old soul, Al. You're in your 30s, but that one was in the 1950s, 15 years before my own birth, might I say. Yeah, there's something about the fantasy of discovering and finding and having a treasure. Now, the Lord is going to give a couple of parables that Matthew has recorded for us today. They're not fantasy. They are parables that depict eternal realities, kingdom realities. But he's using the parables of a treasure to help us to understand some truths about the kingdom of God. So let's read that together. We're in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 44 today. I want to move through verse 46, which is not very many verses. Two small parables that really do pack a punch to them and help us to understand discovering about the kingdom of heaven. The Lord says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, I need to remind you that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are interchangeable phrases meaning the same thing. It's the kingdom of God. But the Jews had such reverence for the name of God that they would not utter his name. They wouldn't even write it out in its full form. And so to a Jewish audience, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven. Matthew also wrote to a Jewish audience, said the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's been hidden in a field. Now we know from the previous stories that Jesus has shared, Matthew's recorded, and the ones that Jesus said, and here's what this means and here's what that means. We know the field represents the world. So the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is like a treasure that has been hidden in the world. What is that treasure? What does it look like? What are the characteristics of the treasure? What does it help us to understand what people are longing for? I think it does. And that God makes the treasure discoverable by us tells us of his grace. 
He's not hiding something and saying, find it if you can. He's hidden the treasure of the kingdom of God here on earth, and then he points it out where it is. It's not a mystery to us. The mystery has been revealed. The kingdom of God, by the way, is in the person of Jesus Christ, the rule and reign of Christ. And all that comes with that. If I were to ask you today, what's the one thing that you think the world would be hoping for, what would it be? What's the treasure that the world would have? Now, right off the bat, you and I are going to say we want to be the single winner of the mega lottery. Uh, but throw that one out the window because that's really not going to help you in the fullness of life. The number one answer that most people give is, if I could have one thing, it would be peace around the world. It's the number one answer. And it's probably that for you. You just want peace in life. You want peace in the unrest of the world. You want peace among the wars of the world and the fractures and the tendency for people to pull apart based on race or creed, religion, or any other way. You just want peace, and I get that. Or maybe it is that you would say, you know what I want is joy. Not chasing after happen, happiness where events of happenings just kind of move back and forth and happiness comes and goes. I want a deep sense of joy and satisfaction in life. And some would say that, and I would concur with that. Others would say, I want abundance. I want to have and not to have to be in want or need. And I want abundance for other people around me. Or I want to live right. There's some things in my life that are just wrong. There's some brokenness in my life that if I could get it right, I would want that to be right. Or maybe it's the experience of beauty. We're hungry for that which is beautiful, and we want to experience that. Sometimes when Kay and I uh, take a few days and we go down to the beach and we become beach bums, quite literally, might I add, it's that we're putting our chair out in the morning time and we don't move our chairs until you can barely see to drag them back in. And part of what we enjoy beyond just having the reprieve with each other and with God is the beauty, the majesty of God's creation. We're drawn to the beauty in that place. And there might be other places that you're drawn to the beauty. There's something about that that we have an, a deep hunger for. I would say these are the things that God has placed within us a longing. That we would have a longing for peace, a great depth longing for joy, for abundance, for right living, and to experience beauty, or as the Bible calls it, glory. Now the kingdom of heaven which is identified in Christ Jesus as the rule and reign of the kingdom, is characterized by all those things. And what I want you to recognize is that what the enemy might present to you as a counterfeit to that which is peaceful or that which is joyful or in abundance or right way of living or beauty, that is a counterfeit. But what God offers to us in his kingdom is actually everlasting it doesn't just end with this world, but it continues in the afterlife. It continues for all eternity. And Jesus has ushered in his kingdom of heaven here on earth, hidden it here, and then identified how it is that we come to it through himself. So I should remind us as well that the kingdom of heaven has always been. The kingdom of God has always been. It's an eternal thing, the kingdom of God. Jesus has ushered it into earth, and he has said, I'm establishing God's kingdom here on earth. It's a spiritual kingdom now, but one day it will be physical, and I'm in a motion of grace calling you to it. And I'm telling you how to discover this great mystery of the kingdom. 
The discovery of the kingdom is in me. The way into the kingdom, Jesus says, is me. I'm the door. Come to me, and under my rule and reign, you will experience all these things in the kingdom that you so desperately long for and are searching for and trying to discover. You can have it, and you can have it today. So the kingdom, as we've been illustrating for a number of years, is like this. It's a building of an understanding about what God has provided for us in the sacrifice of Christ Jesus and in the glorious resurrection. This is the, uh, I don't know how many times I've used this illustration because it's just a working model for me about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And this is the second time that I'm using it without making any alterations to the model. So I'm thinking it's stuck. That it's, it's biblically as I believe expressed in God's word. So let me just run through it with you real quick. It's in your handout so you can be reminded of it later. Jesus has established God's kingdom here on earth, and he does so by defeating the enemy. There can only be one king in a kingdom. And Jesus has come to earth to defeat the enemy. Isn't that glorious? That he's come and he has waged war and he has won the victory and he shares the victory with us. He has defeated the enemy and he reigns. Christ Jesus reigns. Now in the spiritual kingdom, we recognize the reign of Christ is spiritual today. One day it's going to be physical. He's actually going to be on a throne in the city of Jerusalem. And we look forward to that day when he will reign with an iron scepter in his hand and all the world will be at peace. Until that day, he reigns spiritually in us. The way we communicate that is, that is Lord, rule and reign over me. Take possession of me. Take control of me, not my will, but your will, not my way, but your way, not my thoughts, but your thoughts, not my word, but your word. Got it? That's a spiritual kingdom principle. We're, we're submitting to him as he reigns spiritually over our lives. And because he reigns over our lives, he rules our lives with righteousness. We don't have any trouble recognizing that the political structure of mankind is not very righteous. The ways of people are not righteous. But you've got a sovereign who is altogether righteous. And he rules with righteousness. Everything about him is right and true and pure and noble. And because he rules in righteousness, peace prevails. He's not selfish. In fact, he's self-giving. So peace prevails. And where peace is prevailing, joy abounds because all things work together for good for those who are called according to God. Are they not in Christ Jesus? And we have abundance in this kingdom. We are joint heirs with Christ. We even inherit, as God says, Him. What an amazing thought that is. So we have an abundance in life, and we have glory filling us. The spirit of glory actually filling our life and transforming us into that image of glory. Ever so slowly processing, moving us forward to glory. We're experiencing what we see in the glory of God, but we're experiencing the transforming of the glory of God in us as well. So all of that is in the kingdom, the spiritual kingdom of God, and it's moving towards an eternal kingdom that is going to be physical and permanent as well. So let me just give a summary statement, if I might, and it's this. The kingdom of God is a treasure that you are all seeking. Even the people who aren't seeking Christ you're seeking the characteristics of the kingdom. What you long for is in the kingdom. What you're hungry for, what you're digging for, it's in the kingdom of God. Everybody is seeking that. 
So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's buried in a field. And this guy discovers it. He decides to go and sell all that he has to buy the field so that he might have the treasure. And he does it with joy. Is that even an issue? Well, in the first century, it definitely was. If you think about the region that Jesus is sharing these words, these parables, you're talking about a region that there probably is not another place on the planet that has experienced more war than that place. In fact, more battles, more conquests, more wars have come through the area of Jerusalem than in any other land. And so if you are a resident of Israel, and you know the conquest is moving your way, or the battle has ensued, or the war is here, then the likelihood of you keeping your treasure is nil to none, unless you dig a hole and you put the treasure in the ground. And even if you're exiled, you have a thought that if you ever make it back to your land, the land that God has given, that you will go right back to that place, and you will dig in the ground, and there your treasure will be. The only problem is people didn't survive those things very much. So maybe they wouldn't come back from the exile. Or maybe they wouldn't survive the battle. Or maybe they wouldn't survive captivity. And so it was not uncommon for someone to come across a treasure that's been buried in the ground. Now, I don't know about you, but in the second grade, our motto was find it keepers, losers, weepers. You're right. And in the first century, that's pretty much the way it was, too. It was a common thing. You found the treasure, you can keep the treasure. But the most honorable thing is, if you could buy the field, then you could keep the treasure and have honor in it as well. So here's a man who discovers a treasure in a field. And he goes back and he sells everything that he has in order to buy the field to have the greater possession, the treasure. Or here's a man who is a merchant who buys and sells pearls. And he comes across the mother of all pearls. And he sells everything in order to have that treasure. Now, it's not just that they sell everything to have the treasure. What Jesus is saying, with joy, they do that. So we're understanding a depth here that God wants us to, to really understand about the kingdom of heaven. It's with joy that these things are done. All possessions and all treasures are sold and done away with in order to have the greater treasure. So for someone who discovers the treasures of the kingdom of God, and let me remind you what the treasures of the kingdom of God are. Living under the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ, the king of the kingdom. Resting in the provision of his peace with God and mankind. Experiencing an indescribable undeniable joy in all things for the assurance that all things work together for good. The processing of abundant life that is for eternity for citizens in the kingdom of God as joint heirs with Jesus Christ. For being credited with the righteousness of Christ and having righteousness given to us and experiencing it in nature and by experiencing the shared eternal beauty and glory of God. That's all the kingdom. So with that treasure... With joy, somebody says, I would give everything in order to have that. With joy. So the value of the kingdom of God surpasses everything that is combined that you hold dear in your life. It's the way John Piper says it. The kingdom of God is so valuable that losing everything on earth but getting the kingdom is a happy trade-off. 
He's just settled in this truth that the kingdom of God is so glorious and so full of peace and so filled with joy and so filled with righteousness and so filled with glory that I would get rid of everything if that's what it meant in order to have it. The Apostle Paul wrote about discovering the treasure of the kingdom of God in a little bit different way. He had all this mass, mounting, if you will, of stuff that he thought was valuable. And some of that stuff was actually religious experiences that he had been building upon and building upon and building upon, including knowledge and good works and all those things. And when he discovered all that he really longed for in the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, he wrote this in Philippians 3. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. So here's the summary of that. Discovering the treasures of the kingdom of God will cause you and me to think differently about worldly pleasures and experiences. Now in the world, the height is possessions and experiences. But when you come to discover the kingdom of God and all that it affords you, those experiences and those possessions take far second place. Paul recognized that truth. So two parables. Hidden treasure and the pearl of great price have a common point. And the common point is not that you sell everything that you have that you might negotiate, negotiate your way into the kingdom of heaven. That won't happen. What is it that you and I have that could ever buy something eternal from God? Everything that we have belongs to him anyway. That doesn't make sense. So it's not about negotiating for entry into the kingdom of heaven. The reality is there is no pay required to enter the kingdom of heaven. Instead, the common point is those who receive the kingdom of God are those who want it more than anything else and would be willing to give up everything in order to have it. To those people, it's given to them as a gift. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to earn it. It's given to you. That's why Peter and Andrew hear the words of Christ and they hear the words, follow me, and they drop their nets and they follow Christ. And that's how James and John, who are in the boat with their father in the fishing business that they are in, hear Christ call out to them, follow me. He was telling them, come into the kingdom of heaven. And they leave their father and the boat behind, and they follow Jesus Christ. It's the reason why Matthew has a lucrative business, not very honorable, but lucrative, sees the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ, and he leaves that behind, and he follows him. It's the reason why the woman who's a Samaritan is willing to forsake her sinful ways because she sees the ways of righteousness in the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. And she leaves that old and comes to the new. I could show you point after point after point where that happens. Not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament as well. We could talk about Abraham who leaves everything behind in order to be faithful to the one who has the kingdom of God. I could tell you about Moses who was 40 years settled in a place of reprieve, but when he was called by God to leave that place and to follow him to the kingdomness, he left it and followed him. This is the way, this is the call 
for, God, for each of us that God would say, I will reveal the hidden treasure of my kingdom in my son Jesus Christ. Would you be willing to forsake everything in order to have it? And Jesus says, with joy, those who see it and understand it would do such. So the Bible has this section in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 which speaks about people who don't inherit the kingdom of heaven. We sort of zoom in on the unrighteous people there and the sinful ways that they practice. And we might rally against those sins, but that's not the context of the passage. The context of the passage is, here's people that remain in their sin because they treasure the sin more than they treasure the kingdom of, of heaven. And I don't care what it is, what sin it is, if you cherish the sin more than you cherish the Savior, then you don't have the kingdom of heaven. So you can point out on the screens right now from that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you can point out the sins that you want to rail against because it's the sins that you're not battling but I'm here to tell you, it's not about the sin, it's about the heart of the sinner. What Jesus is saying, we'll go from the bottom up, the swindler, the cheater, will not be willing to leave his swindling ways because he doesn't treasure the kingdom of God. Instead, he treasures earthly possession and earthly money more, and so he is unwilling to leave it behind. To the reviler, the abuser, the one who wants power and wants everybody to submit to his power, they are unwilling to come into the kingdom of God because they're unwilling to humble themselves and submit to the sovereign of the kingdom. You, you with me? It's the issue of the heart. Is your heart given with joy to get rid of everything in order to have the kingdom of God whose rule and reign is Jesus Christ? This is our call. So to possess the kingdom of God, you've got to cherish it more than you cherish anything else. I'm not sure that's preached much these days in the West. To enter the kingdom of God, you have to cherish it more than you cherish anything else. And it is Jesus, his rule and reign. So what does that look like? Say, I, I get that in general terms, but it's sort of abstract. I can't quite grab hold of that. What does that mean? What do I do every day? How is that expressed in me? You could probably name about 15 to me. I'm just going to mention five to you. The first is this. Those who cherish the kingdom of God above all things choose Christ if a moment arises to choose between him and anything else. I want to tell you that I'm perfect at this but I'm not. I want to tell you that I've got it all together, but I don't. But I can tell you this. My heart is inclined to that. That's my purpose. I don't know why I do the things that I do sometimes, and I don't know why I don't do some of the things that I know I ought to do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death what I purpose by the Spirit is to cherish Christ. And in the moment, if it was to choose to cherish Him over that, I choose to cherish Him. I wish I could tell you I was perfect. I'm not. But man, do I long for that. Man, do I long to be one who chooses Christ every time and something else second every time. What about you? Does God have you on that path? of choosing Christ 
over everything. When it comes time to make a decision, I choose Christ. When it comes time to stand forward, I choose Christ. When it comes time to sort of waver, I choose Christ. Does God have you on that path? If so, it's an identifier of you choosing his kingdom above all things. Second, we choose to love God above all else. Our heart, soul, mind, and strength is given to him. Cherishing the kingdom of God is expressed in our love, our choice of love for God. Love, obviously, is a choice. It's, it's a choice of giving of ourself. I, I, I love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength, Randy. I do, too. But I struggle with that, and so do you. But cherishing the kingdom means cherishing the one who's the center of the kingdom, the, the gateway to the kingdom, the one who provides all things in the kingdom, to cherish him and to give all things to him. In my heart, God, the essence of who I am, the intent, the purpose is my, my whole living. God, I love you above all things. It's evident in my body. It's evident in my actions. It's evident in my words. That person cherishes the kingdom of God above all things. Number three. You're not getting squirrely on me yet, are you? We choose to live daily in the way that we come to know Jesus more fully and live in him more deeply. And this one I can really grab hold of. To cherish the kingdom of God above all things, to count everything second and it at a preeminent point, is to purpose to know God more and to love him more deeply. That means... When I arise in the morning to know him more, I'm in his word. When I'm engaging in prayer, when I'm singing and meditating, it's because I want to know and love him more. The purpose is to do that. When I'm thinking about what I want to do today, what I want to do tomorrow, what my purposes are, what my goals are, what my great hopes are for my family, my sons, my wife, for you as a church, it is this. To know God more and to love him more deeply. Man, is that ever cherishing the kingdom of God. Number four, to choose to manage earthly goods to reveal our eternal treasure in Christ, we live open-handedly with generosity and invest for gospel impact. Right, so if we're really saying, I love God and his kingdom more than stuff, that means any stuff in my hand needs to be held open-handedly. So that God has given you possessions is not a problem. So that God has entrusted you with money, not a problem. So you have wealth, not a problem. So that you have a 401k, an IRA, or whatever the instruments are, not a problem. The problem is when you close your fist around it. Because when you close your fist around it, you turn into a three-year-old who says, mine! <laughs> and then God reminds us, oh, you came into this world naked and you're going to leave that way. Yeah, everything's mine, God says. It's by him, for him, for his glory. So he pries our hand open by treasuring with, with his nature, giving it to us, and he opens our hand. And then he starts to put resources in there. And I have a tendency in my flesh to sort of close my grubby little fingers around that. And God says, oh, no, keep that hand open. Live open-handedly. 
live with generosity and give with the kingdom impact in mind. Which means when that collection plate passes that it's not just a routine. It's an exercise of the heart. So Kay and I write a check twice a month. And we write it to Meadowbrook, the very people who pay us. We write a check right back to this church. And it is an exercise of our heart. Because I'm just going to put it out there. I'd like to keep that money. I've got some stuff that I'd like to do with that money. While you compile it over the year, it's a pretty good amount of money. I could buy a lot of stuff with that. And my greedy, grubby fingers wants to close around that. But writing that check helps keep my fingers pried open. You with me? And in doing so, not only does it help my heart, but it engages the gospel around the world. Cherishing the kingdom is evident with cheerfulness of giving. All right, last one, because I don't think you could take any more. Neither could I. We choose to live in the joy of Christ and his kingdom regardless of what we lose in this world. So I was with um, a guy this past week who's pretty sick. As I was walking towards his room, I met his dad, and we walked up together, and right in the hallway, we met a surgeon. It was that sort of awkward moment where you don't know if you need to stay right there because a very intense conversation was beginning. And the conversation was bad news about the health of this man's son. Really troubling. I walked into that hospital room where that man was lying on that bed, and he had just heard the news 15 minutes ahead. And he started cutting up with me. Started telling me about this and that, and I'm like, this guy doesn't know the seriousness of his condition. Yes, he did. This guy had a sense of joy even in the midst of crisis. This guy had a sense of the sovereignty of God. He had already submitted his life to the sovereign rule of Jesus Christ. He was already living in the kingdom of God. He had already been through hardships before, and Christ proved himself in the midst of those hardships. So whether he lived or whether he died, he's okay. Because he's in the kingdom of God. And it's an eternal kingdom. It's not a temporary kingdom. As if when you die, it's done it's not just eternity one day in the future. It's eternity now. And he got that. Dad who sort of stumbled in the bad news in a quite literal way walked into that hospital room a few minutes later after me and with great resolve spoke of the sovereignty of God. So you've had loss. We all do. It's in the midst of the loss that you come to this deep resolution that I can grieve, but I will not grieve as those who have no hope. I can mourn, but I will not mourn with the depth of sorrow in that I know the eternal God of the universe who is my Father. 
I can be sad and at the same time have a deep, settled joy that all things work together for good. That's one who cherishes the kingdom. John Calvin stated it this way in his writings, the parables are intended to instruct believers to prefer the kingdom of heaven to the whole world and therefore to deny themselves and all the desires of the flesh that nothing may prevent them from obtaining so valuable a possession. Can I just encourage you, my friends, to not miss out on the full treasures of the kingdom of God by being captivated by the allurements of the world. I know that the world has a flashiness to it, and I know it has a way of capturing our attention, but don't fall for it. What a foolish decision it is to give up what is eternal when you have some temporary possession being offered to you or some temporary gratification offered to you. Don't give up the eternal and the full experiences of the glory of God for an experience today that's temporary and counterfeit. Don't fall for it. If I were one to plagiarize somebody else's message, I would do John Piper's message on this passage. Let me quote a couple of paragraphs of his regarding this section, and then we'll come to a close. The question today is, Piper preaches, what do we learn about the kingdom of God here in Matthew 13, 44? We learn one main thing. The kingdom of God is so valuable that losing everything on earth, that getting the kingdom is a happy trade-off. I've already mentioned that quote. Having the omnipotent, saving reign of Christ in our lives is so valuable that if we lose everything in order to have it, it's a joyful sacrifice. In other words, there is a condition for having the kingdom. This is the condition. For having the kingdom on your side as your, and as your friend, but the condition is not wealth, or power, or intelligence, or eminence. The condition is that you prize the kingdom more than you prize anything else. The point of selling everything in the parable is simply to show where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if your heart is to have the kingdom above all things, then Luke 12, 32 comes true for you. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. To give you the kingdom. So some of you are being offered the kingdom today. Come to understand the treasure of the offering and sell everything that you have, everything that you've hoped for, everything that you've built for. Get rid of it all in order to have the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. Don't hold on to anything. Don't hold on to any sin. Don't hold on to anything in the world. Sell it all in order to have Christ. And in doing so, he'll give it to you. Some of you had tasted the goodness of the kingdom of heaven. For some reason, you've walked away. You've been resisting the work of God in your life and the presence of his spirit in your life. You've been resisting the presence of God and the word of God. And I would tell you, God has so much more, so much more treasure. Come to know him again. Come to press into his presence and see taste. The Lord is good. Come again. So what is God asking of you? The kingdom of heaven has been 
foot right here. It's discoverable. Jesus makes it discoverable. Won't you come to him? Help us, Father, we pray, to hear your word and heed your word. Let the counsel of your spirit be given in such a way that we understand with eyes open and ears attentive. Massage this truth into our heart, Lord, that we might cherish you above all things and have the fullness of your treasury. We pray that in doing so, peace and joy and abundance, your goodness, your presence, would be ours. And in doing so, we would live in a way that others would ask of the hope that we have we pray that it would be unto the honor and the glory of Jesus. Amen.